0: Welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Still no Jens here uh, to join me on the podcast, so you're going to have to just listen to me uh, today for this episode, uh, except our guest. I mean, we're going to bring our guest in in a bit. Uh, I'm talking to Lyric's Born today. He's from Berkeley here in the Bay Area, and uh, he's been making music for 25 years. It's, it's been a really long time. So we're going to talk to him in just a bit, have a great conversation. Um, Before we get to that, though, a couple things that I want to talk about. First, uh, you should subscribe to the podcast. You can do that at Apple Music, on Stitcher, uh, and uh, leave us a good comment as well. And uh, find us on all the socials, facebook.com forward slash pod. Uh, I am pretty much everywhere else uh, at Concert Pipeline on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, sometimes Periscope are on there. You might see us uh, showing a little bit of a live show, uh, that sort of thing. So, lots of ways to uh, check us out and uh, and get the good content. So, uh, a couple things to note over the past week since our uh, last episode. First off, um, i Uh, I talked about. I think I talked about it in one of the most recent episodes that my cat has been gone. Uh, Now it's been three weeks, probably a little over three weeks. He's just gone at this point, you know, and he's coming up on his tenth birthday if he were to be alive. I no way of telling, right? He's an outdoor cat, indoor outdoor, and he's been gone for uh, a bit. And my point here is not to talk about that necessarily, but about how that leads to the next thing that I'm going to mention, which is. Mice and rats in my laundry room. Uh, That's right, I'd been hearing some scurrying, I'd been hearing some chomping when I uh, was in the laundry room in the early morning, like when I'd go out for a run or uh, at night, I heard some chomping, um, and like a a mouse eating my cat's food. And then I noticed my cat's food bowl, which I had left just half, you know, with the food still in it, uh, just in case he were to somehow come back. Um, you know, and want something to eat, I had left his food bowl there and then it was empty, you know, so we knew there was some unwanted guests in the house and, uh, and who knows, maybe they'd been around for a bit just, but just staying away because the the cat, you know, like scared them away. the the presence of the cat you know, did that. Hard to tell their their motive, really. But they, they came around um, kind of around the same time that the cat disappeared. Um, they kind of invited themselves to be present in my home. Uh, not in the actual house, though, or anything. There's no signs in the food pantry, or uh, in fridge, or in the kitchen, or anywhere else. Uh, so it's just been confined to the laundry room, uh, but I could hear the scurrying, and it's like, oh gosh, I gotta deal with this. Not a lot of fun. Um, so, and I've never had to deal with that sort of issue really. I mean, at an old house, uh, the cat had brought a mouse, um, from the river area onto like my daughter's playmat, but, uh, but that was an isolated incident and they were, they were not actively present in the, in my home. And so now they seem to be, uh, and so the other night I was with, my girlfriend, Tracy, and uh, well, I, I'd called, I'd let the rental company know uh, they, got a, um, they got a pest control place out and pretty much all they do is set down some traps and say they'll be back in a week or something like that, right? And so he set out some traps, more than I had actually even saw him do. Um, he set three uh, snap traps out in the laundry room as well as a sticky trap. And so we left that, um, and that night, uh, girlfriend came over, and, uh, and then we, I forget the order of events, but we, we noticed that um, one had been caught. And then we went in the laundry room and went deeper and noticed that, like, three had been caught, <laughs> actually, in the snap traps. Uh, we found, and we found one kind of with his back leg hanging on the sticky trap um and so he was on and then he was like moving the sticky trap around he is still alive right and so I was like okay this isn't that humane and um so we went out to get some gloves so for me to handle these <laughs> traps and the in the mice or rats or whatever they uh, happened to be um it could be a combination of the both and uh, and so we're handling it and uh, and I get the I'd gotten the 3 uh, mice, rats, whatever, uh, and put them in bags and taking them to the trash at the end of the path, uh, far away from the home. <laughs> and, uh, and then we'd all, we all got a Snickers bar to set out for, um, for the next night to, to, because that's what the guy, uh, the past guy had done. He had put a piece of, a little piece of Snickers on the, the trap and, uh, and set it and apparently was very successful with, uh, with the Snickers. And, um, and so we did that, and set it up. And then before we went to bed, we heard the the trap snap, you know, again, and heard another one. And we're like, okay, we're just done for tonight. We'll, do, we'll check it out in the morning or whatever. And uh, and in the morning, there was another one uh, present, but the uh, the one on the sticky trap who had turned himself around last we saw and was mostly on that trap, dying in very inhumane life. I mean, in an inhumane way. Uh, was not on the trap and the other two traps that i that we had reset were empty of the stickers so they had been taken either by sticky mouse or by uh by another mouse that came out and had it but we're up to, that puts us up to four mice that were caught okay flash forward to the next day um the i set the traps out again with uh with some more snickers and uh, and the next day, you know, in the morning, uh, woke up really early and, um, and then went to check the traps and there was one mouse in there and like blood splatter, uh, from his like face, from his mouth, which was not in, uh, directly caught in the trap. It was like his, the back of him was in the trap, uh, you know, like blood had spewed out or something like all on the, um, tile in the laundry room. So that was special. Got to clean that up with a Clorox wipe. Uh, so that's the fun uh, from mice. And then last night, there, uh, there weren't any mice. So either I solved the mouse problem um, and was able to, and that's gone, they're, they're done. i cleared out the whole population of mice and rats in the area. Or they're gearing up to really uh, bring, bring on the troops and take me down uh, in some capacity. I don't know. One of the two, right? Uh, so no mice at this point. We're looking good right now, which is, uh, just great. Cause I got my kids and they're, uh, and I don't want them to have to be around that stuff. It's just not a great feeling. You know, I'll deal with it, but I don't want them in the middle of it. And, uh, and I'd rather not have the traps. I don't want my son to, he won't, he usually, I don't think he'd go near it, but I don't want anything to happen to him with a trap or anything like that. So it solved the problem. Um, the most humane way possible, right? And speaking of my kids, they just started school. Uh, kids are back in school. So that's big thing on my plate right now is that, that this transition, my son changed to a new school. Uh, he was uh, starting kindergarten and my daughter's starting third grade. So uh, this past Wednesday, went to the school to be there for their first day, um, and kind of see them off and everything like that. They'd come, were coming from their mothers. Um, I, when I was stuck in traffic getting to the school and, um, and then I, I called their mom to see where she was and, uh, and she was stuck in the Canyon, uh, like in, in traffic as well. So she was going to be delayed and my mom and sister, wanted to be there for whatever reason as well. And uh, they both said they had migraines. And uh, and so, th- but they were still going to go. They wanted to go and we wanted to be there. So I'm like, okay, great. Um, and so I get there to the school at about 745. I had a bunch of paperwork as well to- that I had to fill out for my kids to be able to go to aftercare um, that day and the rest of the year. And, um, and so I uh, went you know, I went, and I, my mom and sister were there when I got there. The first ones there, as usual, they were there super early, and my mom was parked in a ten minute the ten minute parking spot. Which just gets under my skin, and she had to know it would. I mean, she has to know what's going to bug me, especially because she's not going to be there for just ten minutes. She's uh, there's a perfect, there are perfectly good parking spots right around the corner, about fifty feet away, not more than fifty feet uh, away, because they were there so early, and uh, and it's just pure laziness. It's just laziness, and it's super frustrating to me to have that. And so I tried the calm. You know approach at first, I was still on with my kid's mom on the phone um, at the time and I should have re- probably wrapped that up, but I was trying to see the time how long it would be till they were would be there and uh, and so I I uh, asked my mom hey, can you please move your car right around the corner Her car was still running as well so it wouldn't have been even even she wouldn't even have had to turn the key to start the car to move it right around the corner and free up the 10 minute parking spot for someone who's going to be there for only 10 minutes. Uh, that didn't happen. So, um, she, I, she wouldn't do it. So I asked again, Nope. Okay. I asked her, Hey, please move the damn your damn car, you know? And uh, and I was on the phone and still so should have shut that down again before I said that, but I'm like, okay, at this point, just come on. But she had said, oh, if I don't use it, someone else is going it's going to, it's a real entitlement thing, right? Which is something that I'm trying to steer my kids away from. I'm reading a parenting book called the me, me, me epidemic and learning kind of ways to not entitle my kids in this world where so many people are entitled, make them kind of listen to my parenting, respect it, and really grow up to be good, decent people, right? Um, and, And so I'm working on that, but I can't do that with my mom, of course, there's no way. So um, so she's she's not doing that. So I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'm, I'm going. I'm just going to go to the office and, um, and fill out the paperwork. I tried one more attempt. I called her uh, on the phone as I'm walking away uh, to see if she'll do it. Nope, no answer. Okay. I'm going to the office. I fill out the paperwork. Uh, I called my sister because there's so much paperwork. I wanted to be able to see my kids off on their first day. I was like, hey, can you come help me fill out some of this paperwork? She came and helped. and um, And then... By the time we were done and out, my mom had moved her car. I don't know where. I don't really care. I call my kids' mom, see where she is, because she's not there yet. It's a whole to-do, right? Um, and so she, by that point, all the parking was gone. There's like no parking. She pulls up, you know, f- far away. There's still no, no parking, so she drives off. So who knows where else? So I have to go hunt my kids down to just see them for like two minutes before they start. Uh, class, I give my daughter a hug, take a picture with her, send her off to her first day of third grade, and then spend a little more time with my son before he's starting kindergarten because it's a a big transition for him. And he's a lot more shy than uh, uh, my daughter is. And so it's, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but, but I got it, got through it. I was able to finish up the first day of schooling and, and move on. And, oh my gosh, seriously, like, I don't know. Maybe next year I don't go to the first day unless it's on my day of the week to have the kids or something. But Because I want to be there. But I'm not crazy about all the drama. I'm not crazy about how hectic it is. And there's so many people there on that first day that's just like, it's nuts. My son did pretty well. Uh, there was a, a girl that was bawling her eyes out and probably freaked out all the other kids. And, um, and I heard that it was rough for the class as a whole, that half the class was crying for the whole day. And I don't know if my son was in that group of criers or not. But I did get an email from uh, my kid's teacher last night, which was really thoughtful and and generous. I mean, she emailed me and uh, my kid's mom and said, Hey, your son uh, did, you know, has been doing great these first couple of days. I just wanted to let you know, and he's receptive to the the ways I'm sharing with him, and I really look forward to getting to know him. So, um, so that's really good. That's really reassuring because I know she's got other things to to do there. So, all right, that's enough of that situation, though. So let's go ahead and let's move on. Uh, as I said, Lyrics Born is on the program. Uh, Going to talk to him about his. Uh, his music and uh, his new album, Quite a Life, that comes out September 14th. It's really good. I've gotten a chance to hear it and we're gonna actually play a, a track off of it uh here as we uh get into um uh, into lyrics born. We uh, I wanna play a single, you know? That's what we're gonna do. Uh but uh, definitely worth checking out his album when it comes out. So don't don't wait on that. He's a, a great Bay Area musician. Really proud to have him on the the podcast. And um, and as uh, I'm recording this, uh, Jens is texting, uh, and uh, he's apparently in Sweden right now. So uh, getting around the world seriously. Like that guy gets out. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and um, let's move forward. Uh, as I said, we're going to play a song from LyricsBorn first. The, the audio quality on the interview isn't amazing. Uh, as you can tell, uh, uh, you'll be able to tell LyricsBorn is actually he's driving while we're talking and he lost some service, so I tried to clean it up a little bit, but uh, but it does cut out a, a, a little bit. Uh, still, great conversation. Let's uh, start by playing a song from LyricsBorn. Uh, lyrics born's new album coming out quite a life this is a song called is it worth it here it is Sunday. lyrics born.
1: this is he Hey, this is how are you
0: doing good steve jones from concert pipeline how's it going today
1: not too bad man not too bad i'm i'm really looking forward to this
0: hey you and me both so you're you're at home right now in uh berkeley is that right i am at home right
1: now yes i am i am at home i'm we're getting ready to we just shot a video last week we're getting ready to shoot another video i definitely feel the I can only feel the campaign wheels turning.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me about that. So you're shooting, you know, multiple videos kind of back to back for this uh, upcoming album you got, right? So how do you, yeah, uh, how do you kind of approach it when you have one after another, you know, in terms of uh, storyline ideas and kind of who you're making them with?
1: Yeah. Well, I have the, um, you know, we, we, we lock the director down and then. The director gives you know we we go over the treatment um which uh you know that goes a few rounds and we sort of discuss concepts and i might have some ideas and they might have some ideas and then we we narrow it down and then um then they sort of put it in motion and we we get it all done and it's it's very involved it's like uh you know it's um, and it moves at such a fast pace now. You know, it's uh, it's really crazy you how know, fast everything. you know, like when I first started, probably maybe we'd shoot a video like a month or two apart. Yeah. At the very mo- at the very most or at the very least, you know. But now it's like you knock them all out, and, you know, as soon as you can, and um, it's just a, a much more fast paced, accelerated game, you know?
0: Yeah. And is it you that's driving the the videos? Or like, what's the, you know, how important is the video to, you know, the marketing for you?
1: That's really important. There's this thirst for content now, you know? And um, it's almost insatiable, you know? And so you have to have videos, multiple videos behind the scenes live instagram facebook why instagram why i mean it's really it's very intense i mean i love it because it's fun you know
0: yeah
1: but it's pretty intense it's pretty intense you know um you know you you basically are at the mercy of your career you know really right if you, if you do it the senior. Career.
0: Yeah. So, tell me about uh Quite a Life and kind of your in your approach to creating this uh this new album.
1: Hello? Are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay.
0: okay. Uh so uh tell mm-hmm. me Yeah, tell me about Quite a Life and your approach to creating the new album.
1: So, this is my 10th album. And um, I just, you know, I've just been so inspired by, um, I was so inspired by, uh, a lot of the social movements that were going on right now, you know, um, and I think basically what I, and all the activism and the awareness and the, that was going on in the world and, and, um, whether or not it showed up in the subject matter of the album, um, I, it just, it really inspired, you know. And, uh, you know, maybe that's become a bit of a cliche, but, you know, I think when I sat down to write this album, it was like, okay, this is monumental. You know, very few artists have gotten to this point. Yeah you know, let alone artists in my shoes, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know? And, um, you know, how do I really feel? How do I really feel about certain issues? Are there, are there certain things that I haven't discussed? Why not? You know, I mean, are there certain, let's be honest, are there certain sound states that I sound better over others, you know? Why, why not, you know? Um, is there, how do I really feel about that I want to be making and that I want to be heard on and that I want people to hear 25, another 25 years from now because this is my 25th year as a professional, you know, I put out my first record in 1993 as a
0: teenager, Yeah.
1: you know? It's like, how, how do I, how do I, want this legacy to be perceived, you know? And a, a lot of that may sound like it may stifle creativity when you sit down and you think about it and, you, you know, on the front end you're just sort of front-loading all these these um, these ideas and these, these these sort of themes and, you know, maybe it's maybe it might seem daunting but for me it was just inspiring. It was like it really gave me the motivation to do something really special, you know, and honest.
0: Yeah. So, because, th- yeah. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask, right? Is there, like, a, a pressure that you're putting on yourself at all, you know, uh, since this is your, your 10th album in, in 25 years?
1: Well, yeah, always. You know, always. I, I never... There, okay, so... There's, it, I, it, I'd say, it, it, it works on in two ways, you know. Um, as an artist that, with that, I have been fortunate enough to have a career this long and to have put out this many albums. The pressure is to continue to make great music, you know. And maybe that sounds vague, but. Um, you know, that's something that I've prided myself on is that, you know, I mean, I'm just very fortunate that with all the albums that I've put out, the ratio of classics that people consider me to have, I mean, I'm just, not a lot of artists can say that, and I'm extremely grateful and I'm humbled by that, you know. Um, so, there's pressure there because, you know, you know you want to deliver, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that kind of pressure. It's like, I don't, to me, when I sit down and make an album, I'm working on it. I can't, I don't, I can't allow myself to put anything out that's sort of substandard or under par, you know, or, you know, I just, I just, that's just, that's, that's my chemistry. That's just how I'm built. So that's what, that's one layer of it. The second layer of it is as a career independent artist, I can't afford to put out a shitty album. You know what I mean? It's like if I put if I put out an album where I'm not doing the absolute best I possibly can and leave it all out on the table. You know that could be it for me. You know I don't have the safety net. You know I don't have the big marketing budgets. I don't have the cultural leverage you know, within the industry to rescue myself, you know, or to bounce back from, you know, uh, an album that I didn't give my best of, you know.
0: And and one thing that I like so, that I've, I've read that you you've said before is um, that you don't just kind of do your best. I mean, you, you think about yourself when you're challenging your, yourself uh, to you say, what do, what do I do that uh, no one has done before, right? So it's not even right. just kind of your best. It's really kind of thinking beyond the realm of possibility in, in some sense, right? So where does that come from within yeah. you?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I think great artists think that way. You know, I think great artists with every album, you know, or, you know, at least the ones that, that I love, You know, the pioneers, they think about it the way that I do, which is, you know, with every album, what what do I do that hasn't been done before? and, And what do I do that, or at the very least, what do I do that I haven't done before? You know what I mean? And that becomes more challenging with every album that you make. I mean... You know, I have over 200 published songs, yeah. you know what I mean? And that, and so, and those are just the ones we kept track of out there. And, you know, I'm sure there's more out there in the future that I, you know, like features that I've done with other people and so forth. And so it's like, well, shit, I mean, what what do I do? You know, with every album, it's like, what do I do? You know, and I think the key for Quite a life With Me was... You know, um, how do I really feel? You know, what is my truth? What's been bothering me? What am I most proud of? What am I uncomfortable with? You know, how can I bring those to life? You know, um, what makes me scared? What makes me confident? You know, what turns me on? You know, and, and just being really honest about those things it's harder than you think you know it's harder than you think you know the average person can't myself included can't always articulate these things you know and and so it's it's it it can be difficult sometimes to kind of really get to the true root of that truth and how you're feeling about you know any given topic um, and not only that, when you're writing songs, it has to be, in my opinion, it has to be a topic that hasn't been discussed, or it's not cliche, you know, and if it has been discussed, it has to be so personalized that, um, it just resonates with people in a different way than maybe they've heard it before, you know, maybe in a different, hearing it in a different context with from a different voice, you know, with a different set of details and circumstances, you know? Yeah. Um deep, man, you know, I I take songwriting really seriously, you know, and I take the creation of albums really seriously, and yet at the same time it's just, I don't think
0: about it that much at all. Yeah, so somewhere in between, right, and like you've uh, you've, you know, written songs about, you know, your wife's cancer, and, you know, really personal topics, and so how do you kind of get to that vulnerability stage, you know, for yourself, where you're okay putting yourself out there like that? Yeah, well
1: that was tough, you know, that was if you're talking about, you know, Can't Lose My Joy, I mean, that was by far the hardest song I I maybe had to write because, um, you know, I had to come to terms with a lot of things on this album. You know, I, I, I just sort of, I think throughout my career, I've just been so, and, and just my life in general, I've been so used to just sort of sucking it up and just powering through everything, you know, yeah. that I never I don't know that I always check in with myself and like take inventory of all these things that you know that have happened in my life you know it's just especially with painful stuff it's like I don't always speak about it and I don't always um, write songs about it you know and so when these things do happen sometimes we have a tendency to Departmentalize them and just sort of move on because we feel we have a, a task at hand and we can't let it deter us. But you know, with this, it was like I, there there were so many things that have happened to me along the way that I, I just felt compelled I had to discuss. If they help somebody else that's in that situation whatever it may be you know whether feeling like you know you've been marginalized for some reason or you know put in a situation where you're dealing with you know terminal illness um, uh, just the rigors and the, the, the sort of macro and aggression of day to day living you know and, and and sort of you know um, embracing success, coping with failure—you know—I mean, these are all things that, that um, you know, not unlike most people, I deal with these things, you know. And I just, but I, I sometimes I don't allow the process to work itself out musically, you know. I don't allow that process to, to to translate itself musically, and this time I wanted to do that. So it was deep, deep stuff to me, you know <laughs> to speak to me.
0: yeah yeah for sure and so I wanna, I want to ask you as well so um, with your time with uh, Latrix and um, uh, Latif the truth speaker what did you learn from that period of time uh, in your life that what did you take away from that
1: um you know I I, I think for me the, the most important thing that I got from the Lotteryx albums was just working in groups, you know, and how important a skill that is, you know, just the ability to sort of to, to compromise and, you know, work as a team. You know, a lot of artists, they don't know how to do that. They can't do that, and that's fine, you know, Whatever. I'm a solo artist also, obviously, you know. But, um, you know, those skills translate and and transcend just music, you know, the ability to um, work effectively in groups and and create something mutually, you know, something that, that, if left to my own devices, is different, you know, that I would never have been able to create. Either of us would ever have been able to create on our own. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's that's definitely the positive. That's that was my sort of takeaway from that entire thing. A lot of artists can't do that. A lot of people can't do that. You know, they, it's very difficult for them to work in groups, and because you know, it requires a lot of honesty, and it requires a lot of humility. And, um, and it requires a lot of communication. And, um, you know, I, I've often said, like I think the world um, could really benefit by studying teams, musical groups, um, because it teaches you how to, to, to kind of negotiate differences. You know, and arrive at, 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 a, at a strategy that works, you know, whether it's artistic or, you know, sports, you know, it's, it's something that transcends class, it transcends economic and cultural, racial issues, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really important, I think.
0: Yeah, and and so most along those lines, kind of most of your albums like you produced yourself, but I I know with real people you kind of took a different approach. You went to New Orleans. You uh, worked with some other producers and kind of gave yourself a different level of vulnerability. Is that right?
1: Yeah, you know, and 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 quite frankly, I I wanted to learn. You know, I mean with real people and then, you know, also we, we, you know, this album, a lot of it was recorded in New Orleans as well. Cause uh, Rob, Rob Mercurio produced the majority of the album. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've always been a fan of New Orleans and New Orleans music and, and they can make, you know, a New Orleans musician can produce an album a New Orleans album, a New Orleans inspired funk album far better than I ever could. Yeah. And I needed to get outside of myself, you know, and I always feel that way now. Now I feel like, okay, if I don't feel like, you know, let's just be honest, if I don't feel like I can do this better than somebody else, then I'm going to let them do it, you know. Um, and um, I think it's that sort of release of control. You know, you think you're giving up something, but it, but in actuality you're gaining freedom. You know, because you have, you put yourself in a position to be able to learn yeah. new things. You know, like I would never have been able to do an album like real people if I was producing it on my own. You know, I would never be able to do this album if I was producing it solely on my own. You know, we have to give our we have to give, you know especially for artists that that have made a lot of albums and have done it a certain way their entire career. You know, you have to sort of at some point, you know. In my opinion, I, I had to let outside influences in, you know, and I had to make myself open to criticism and I had to feel like I was getting beyond my own limitations. You know, that's the only way you can really grow and stay inspired.
0: And, and so at what point in the process for you does that point come, you know, a reality where you're like, okay, to what you said before, you know, you let someone else kind of in and have that kind of creative control, right, versus you doing it yourself.
1: Well, I think, you know, I think Real People was a real turning point for me because, you know, kind of what we talked about before. It was like, okay, what have I done that I haven't done before? What can I do on this album going forward that I haven't done before? You know, what do I sound great on? Well, I know I sound on great. I know I sound good. In in my opinion, I sound good on albums with, uh, you know, organic, funky records. You know, I mean, I felt like I'd done, you know, all the sample-based music I could have possibly done with with later that day and same shit different day, and I feel like I did, you know, a lot of '80s-inspired funk stuff, you know, with with everywhere at once and um, and as you were, and I, I feel like I did the group thing with with the two Materix albums. Um, so what what hadn't I done yet, and what what do I love and you know i'm I, I was and continue to be inspired by you know New Orleans funk. You know, it's probably still the purest realist one hundred percent music town left in the United States of America, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um that was something that again, when i when I asked myself, have I done this before? The answer is no, does it interest me? The answer is yes, you know. So that's what made me want to pursue it, you know. And and plus, I'd worked with Rob and Galactic many times before, and and we just had a really good rapport. And, you know, there's an art, there really is an art to producing artists, effectively. It's very psychological, you know. And I think, you know, you have to be able to offer criticism without sort of bruising egos. You have to sort of, you know, you have to have, it. it's a certain skill set that not not a lot, and to be honest, a lot of producers don't have these days, you know? And um, he's very good at that. You know, he's very good at that. And I needed that, you know, because I, like most artists, sometimes go into a project thinking everything I can do. You know, like I, I can do anything. Right, you know? right. But, you know what I'm saying? But it's good sometimes to hear, you know, I didn't really like the way that you did that first maybe you should try it with a different approach and try xyz i need to hear that i needed to hear that you know what i mean yeah because i i needed to get outside of myself and i needed to be able to approach things differently you know and and you don't grow unless you do that you know because you just don't there's certain things that you just don't see you know
0: yeah and along the lines of new orleans being a you know one of the really big music towns and you know obviously we have nashville you know i mean being from berkeley and um and this area you know this area here in the bay area i'm from napa so i'm you know not not too too far away um like you you've said you've said as well that like there you don't kind of consider the bay area music uh, music town anymore can you kind of expand on that a, a little bit and is, that, is yeah. that kind of why you've gone to New Orleans? Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, the, the Bay Area that I came up in as a musician, as a rapper, as an artist is just—it's just not there anymore, you know, in terms of the arts.
0: Yeah. In
1: terms of in terms of music, I mean, um, you know, I, I just don't think that you can have a thriving, vibrant artist community where the cost of living is unaffordable, you know? And um, that, that's happened. That happened here. Um, and so I just feel like the community has really shrunk dramatically. A lot of the guys that, and girl, and women, a lot of the men and women that I used to create with the creators are no longer here. They, they just, they had to move on, you know, because um, it just became a, a little too hostile for, for artists, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, that's that's really unfortunate, you know, because I think that was one of the things that made the Bay Area, it's still a beautiful, great place, you know, but it was one of the things that really attracted people to come live here. And as a result, you know, we sort of become a victim of our own success, you know. Yeah. And, um, and uh, unfortunately, that aspect, that, that that that
0: community aspect as it relates to artists and musicians has shrunk dramatically. And so,
1: you know, I've had to go elsewhere, you know, for inspiration.
0: So, what is it that keeps you living here uh, in the Bay? What's what is it that keeps keeps you coming back?
1: Um, I think I'm just a stubborn Japanese man, yeah. you know, and, and, um, I, you know, my family is here. I grew up here, you know, I'm not a transplant, so, you know, I grew up here, but, um, I have been spending far more time out of town, you know, mm. to, to record and mix and learn and, you know, sort of seek inspiration, I have been spending far more time out of town it's just at this point i kind of feel like the bay area is just becoming base camp for me you know and um also you know you you're just like the, the more albums you make the more songs you write you're like a you're you're in constant search of inspiration and new experiences you know and um I don't know if you get that by staying still. It doesn't mean you have to pack up and leave, but um, I don't know if you get that by staying still. You
0: know. Yeah. Well, uh, as we wind out, I want to ask you as well about you know a couple of the other projects you you got on your plate, which are always be my maybe and um, sorry to bother you that are or, um, bar, excuse me sorry to borrow you uh, that are coming out soon. So tell tell me a little bit sorry about. Sorry to this. bother. Yeah, I did say. Okay, yeah, what's up? About-
1: Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, Sorry to Bother You is out now. Um, And, um, you know, I've known the director. I've known Boots Riley for probably 20 years, you know, just because, just from music, we've toured together, we've recorded songs together, we've been on the road together all around the world. So I've I've just, we're friends. I've I've just known him for a long time. And, um, you know, ever since I've known him, he's been writing screenplays. And um, um, so when he finally was able to get this movie made, you know, he called me and he offered me a part, you know, which of course I said yes. You know, of course I said yes. You know, and um, I don't even think he had a distribution deal for the movie yet. I think they were just, it was being, you know, it was totally being paid for independently. But, you know, I mean... That's what friends do, yep, you know.
0: Of course,
1: and um, yeah, and um, with always be my maybe, um, you know. Randall Park, Ali Wong is obviously from the Bay Area, and um, Randall Park is um, the, the 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 one of the leads. He's the he's the male lead in the movie. He um he's the father from the from the uh, TV show Fresh Off the Boat, and um, we had a lot of mutual friends. And and I guess apparently he's been a fan for a long time of my music. And so, um, they opened up a role for me, you know, and and uh, that was written just for me. And they, you know, they had me come in and read for it, and they liked what I did. And you know, they, I love comedy, first of all. Yeah. You know, I I absolutely love it. You know, and I'm, I'm going to be doing more in the future. But you know, it was just it, it's great. I mean, I, I think we're in a very special time in in history, also right now with the, in the entertainment business, where you know, I mean, I I don't I don't know that we've had this many Asian American professional artists in the music and and movie business, and TV business, you know um it, ever at any time ever before and for not only is the movie great and the story's great and all the actors and every and the direction is top notch and, and super funny um i can't think of another you know there's there's crazy rich asians which just came out in theaters but i can't think of another almost entirely asian casted um rom-com anywhere you know i mean so i had the opportunity to be a part of something that's historical you know that's historic you know yeah and um you know that was really i mean I, i'm fortunate enough i've been on a few in a few movies in my lifetime and um you know this was the first time i ever stepped on set it was just like this is an entirely asian cast almost you know and not only that the two leads are stars. Yeah. You know, and and I don't I, I don't know that that's ever happened in history before. You know, and it 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 really it, you know, it it really hammered home for me. You know, it's like I mastered quite a lot and the day after I mastered it and approved it, I flew off to Vancouver to shoot that movie. And um It it just, it also made me feel so good about what I was doing, you know, because for so many I mean, like I said, I've been out this for a long time and I just felt like I was out on an island for so many years, you know what I mean? And and, um, just culturally, you know, and to be able to see this, this renaissance happening with myself and the movies that I just mentioned and... You know, there's other, there's finding other artists, you know, that are just starting to bubble in the mainstream that, that look like me and names ended vowels. And, you know, it, 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 it really made me feel good to, that I'm around to see this, you know, that I'm still active and that I'm still making records at the same time so I could actually participate, you know.
0: Yeah, you're proud of your community. And that's, that's really awesome to, to hear. I mean, to hear that excitement and, you know rejuvenation kind of around that you know in your voice that's really cool
1: yeah thank you man yeah Yeah, it's really an exciting time like i said i mean i i I, you know there were moments where i'm just like what am i doing this for yeah you know i'm like it it, it's like you know there, there were moments particularly when the when the music business was in really bad shape where it's like why am i even still doing this you know, what am I getting out of this? You know, it was really, there, there were those sort of dark moments, you know, that, that, um, you, you know, they, they were very, very difficult, you know, and it's, it's just cool now to be, to see, to having weathered that and so many other storms that I've weathered over the course of my career, you know, um, it's really nice to sort of be in that space and, and, and you know, people give me credit for being a pioneer or whatever, and whatever, that's fine. But I'm just happy to, think, you know, it's like I said in the song, um, um, maybe I made it, it's like, you know this whole time I just felt you know I'm, I'm rounding the the bases for folks coming now with faces just as stage and names ending with vows you know, and that's how that's what I felt like I was doing sometimes you know um over the years and it just it just feels good to be able to like I said to see things finally turn and to to be still active so that I can participate in it you know. What I mean?
0: Yeah, you're you're happy now. You you waited it out, right? You, you 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 put in your time. You didn't give up, and you you know. And now you have your tenth album, quite a life to you know coming out to, to show for it. And and the album great, by the way. I, I you know got a chance to listen to it, and um and I from the beginning with uh, with chocolate cake. I just I mean it's really uh you know upbeat and exciting, and uh and I really enjoy it. And I you know wish you all the success with the, with that new album coming out. Thank you. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so yeah, Lyrics Warren, thank you for taking the time uh today to, to chat and uh um yeah, have a great rest of your week and we're looking forward to that album coming out next month, okay? Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, you too, thank you. That was the interview with Lyrics Born here on Concert Pipeline. Thanks for taking the time to chat. All right, it's time to get to the last segment of the podcast, and that is the music news. Okay, uh, I got some interesting stories here uh, for the podcast, and... Uh, And the first is about fake Michael Jackson music. I know, right? Uh, So there's been conversation, I guess. Uh, A lot of publications, including Vibe, it um, published a report claiming that Sony Music Entertainment had conceded to fabricating songs by Michael Jackson on his 2010 posthumous album. Uh, Rep for Sony Music, however, issued a statement um, this past um, uh, Friday stating that those reports are false said uh, no one has conceded that michael jackson did not sing uh, on the the songs zia madaber of katton Muchin Ro- uh, Rosenman llp who's representing both sony music and the jackson estate said the hearing tuesday was about whether the first amendment protects sony music and the estate and there's been no ruling on the issue of whose voice is on the recordings um so that's still in contention i guess um and so the story is, in 2010, several songs were released that were said to be recorded by the late Michael Jackson. Four years later, one fan questioned the music's validity, leading um, many to believe the music was fraudulent. Because of one fan? That's kind of interesting, right? That one fan can have such a voice uh, and uh, and really kind of make that question. Um, everybody questioned that. Um, now nearly three years after the scandal... Uh, Sony Music Entertainment is reportedly admitted to releasing and selling fake tunes by the late legend. The fake songs allegedly appeared on his album Michael uh, in 2010. Uh, the songs in question include Monster, Keep Your Head Up, and Breaking News. I think we should uh, hear just a little bit of Monster, and, uh, and we might be able to judge for ourselves. And it says uh, it's a song featuring 50 Cent as well. I haven't listened to this yet, so let's, let's see what this sounds like. Already off to a bang start. Okay, I'm going to have to skip a little bit. Let's see. Interesting. Okay. Um, Yeah, not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, it sounds like Michael to me, right? I don't know. Um, In court documents obtained by. Uh, Hippin' Hip More editor uh, N- Navjosh Varasova, uh, the fan who kickstarted the investigation into the fake MJ songs, filed a civil suit, according to Jackson's longtime friends Eddie uh, Casico, James Victor Port, and his production company, uh, Angel Likensen Productions LLC, of creating and selling music through Sony and the Jackson estate. Uh, they uh, The groups initially claimed that the songs were recorded in Casio's basement in 2007. Servio and the Jackson family contested those claims, however. While the single sounded similar to MJ's sound, they said Michael never recorded them. Servio testified in the Los Angeles Superior Court that they were recorded by an impersonator named Jason uh, Malachi. Now that makes me want to hear a, a little bit of uh, Jason Malachi. So um, let's, uh, let's see if we can hear just a little bit of, of, of Jason. And how Okay, uh, so that that you know that has a big similarity similarity to Michael Jackson. I mean, uh, I can hear it for sure. Um, so, consequently, Sony Music Entertainment conceded in court that it had released fake singles. It's unclear if fans or Jackson's estate will be awarded for the criminal behavior, or whether there will be a monetary any monetary punishment for Sony. Wow. Okay, that's pretty big. Why would they? I just don't even understand why they do that. Why they try and pass that off? That's a real big disrespect to the Jackson name and, uh, and his family and everybody, right. To, to just kind of do that sort of thing and, and, uh, call it off as Michael. And I guess a lot of people had bought it, but it doesn't sound, uh, like it's, it's actually him. So, um, so pretty crazy. Um, all right. Next story up, uh, in the music news is that Leonard Skinner guitarist, Ed King is dead at 68. Um, Former Leonard Skinner guitarist said King died on August 22nd at the age of 68, uh, while the cause of King's death has not been revealed. Recent media reports out of Nashville indicated the rocker was battling lung cancer and had been hospitalized for the disease. Um, I've just found out about Ed's passing and I'm shocked and saddened, said lone uh, original active Skinner member uh, Gary Rosington. Uh, Ed was our brother and a great songwriter and a gr- uh, guitar player. Uh, I know he will be reunited with the rest of the boys in rock and roll heaven. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with Sharon and his family. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he's passed on. So, um, hope Ed King can- rests in peace. All right. Um next story is about journey and um pr- pretty excited because i might be uh seeing journey next month when uh we cover the uh, journey and uh Def Leopard and Foreigner show at uh, ATT Park on September 21st. Um uh, plan right now is that we're going to have Foreigner back on the podcast um, in just a couple of weeks. So uh, really excited about that leading up to that show, which will be really epic. So planning on covering that, I'm looking forward to it and hope to see Journey. But this story is not about Journey in its um, u- uh, uniform right now. It's about Steve Perry, uh, former lead uh, singer for Journey. And uh, how he lost and regained his love of music. Um, So uh, he revealed that it took him a long time to find his uh, love of music again during a recent interview and uh, discussed his upcoming uh, comeback album, Traces, Uh, He did an interview with SiriusXM and said, I'm uh, talking about uh, that with some people right now, but right now my biggest emotional commitment is to the idea that it took a long time for me to just find my love for music again and write music that I'm passionate about and sing music that I'm passionate about. There were moments in the studio where we would be working up a track or working on a mix, and I would actually get goosebumps on my arm. I'd say, I can't uh, get that anywhere else but here. I realize I must have found my love for this again because it's resonating with me again. So he's pretty excited to be back, and maybe at some point, you know, he'll uh, get together with uh, the guys from from Journey and uh, and play a show or something. Uh, but um, doesn't sound like that's on the on the docket right now. Um, but my next story is about the Red Rocker. Uh, that's right, Sammy Hagar. Uh, who is actually going to be coming to Napa for uh, the PGA Tour in early October? I think it's like October 4th or something along those lines that he's going to be playing. It's the Thursday of the PGA, and uh, so that's pretty exciting. Might head over and uh, check him out. Um, it'll be really cool. But the story is that he was in a lip sync challenge video with hometown with his hometown police. So um uh, he made an appearance alongside mem- members of the Fontana California Police Department in a lip sync challenge video featuring his 1984 hit I Can't Drive 55 According to the Fontana Herald News uh Hagar was contacted by officer Tim Friedenall doll uh and uh Orange County based event producer John Oaks to provide approval for the song's use and to play a small role in the video uh uh fry uh fry and Dahl said i didn't want my department to be outdone the sammy hagar song is a natural fit for fontana but i didn't think we would ever end up with an appearance from sammy hagar uh when tim and i spoke on the phone i was happy to connect a few dots to support his request and oaks uh who is working with hagar on his high tides beach party and car uh, car show uh, which is slated for october 6th and T- huntington beach so uh, my younger brother works in law enforcement, so this was a fun opportunity to cross our careers. In the original 1984 music video for I Can't Drive 55, Hagar gets arrested and winds up in a courtroom uh, belting out the lines to the song. Three, decade, three decades later, the singer is featured driving the same black 1982 Ferrari uh, 512 BB from the original clip in the new Fontana Police parody. Um, so they gave him a big thank you and we're really excited. Uh and you you can actually check that video out online um as well if you if you want to. So uh so pretty cool. All right. Uh so this story next story is about the eagles. Um and uh it's actually Pretty cool because I want to expand upon it a little bit as well. But um, the Eagles' 1976 collection, their greatest hits, 1971 to 1975, has surpassed Michael Jackson's 1982 smash thriller to uh, top the list of best-selling albums in music history. It's huge. That's huge. Uh, The RIAA, which is the Recording Industry Association of America, announced the California band's, Uh, package has been newly certified at 38 times platinum, accounting for uh, sales and streams of more than 38 million copies since its release. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous, right? That's a ton. It's a ton. The Eagles are are incredible. They're so huge. Um, And uh, congratulations to the Eagles, who now claim the jaw-dropping feat of writing and recording two of the top Three albums in music history, uh, the RIA chairman and CEO, Kerry Sh- uh, Sherman, says, both of these transcendent albums have uh, impressively stood the test of time, only getting more currency uh, and popularity as the years have passed, much like the Eagles themselves. And um, so they're celebrating the 60th anniversary of um the RIAA's Golden Platinum program this year, and it's only fitting that they can recognize the Eagles for their singular contribution to the history of American music. So, Don Henley says, uh, We're grateful for our families, our management, our crew, the people at radio, and most of all, the loyal fans who have stuck with us through the ups and downs for 46 years. Um, It's been quite a ride. So, they obviously had a... The the Eagles had a big break. Um, I've actually been reading an Eagles uh, book uh in in the past week which was written by ben fong torres who is the uh rock journalist of rolling stone uh magazine he was the editor um back in like the late 60s and 70s you know during their uh the the pivotal time it's really an interesting read and it has a a bunch of really uh, incredible pictures as well in the in the book and i recommend checking it out um and uh will likely have uh Mr. Benfong Torres on the program in the not too distant future as well because I've been talking to uh him recently and uh and trying to get that set up. So uh so that's pretty exciting. So yes, congratulations to uh the Eagles for that huge huge accomplishment. All right. So I have, I think, one more story here uh, before we wind out the podcast for the evening. Uh, The morning, I guess, whenever you happen to be listening to this. It could be morning. Um, It's very possible, right? So uh, my last story here is about Judas Priest. And uh, speaking of bands that have been around for a really long time, Judas Priest takes the cake there. So they are uh, planning their 50th anniversary celebrations. Um Judas Priest frontman Rob Halford uh, says in a new radio interview that the veteran metal icons are planning to mark the band's 50th anniversary in 2019 um, and He says, we're already having these discussions every now and again in the band and with our label and with our our promoters and management. We have some ideas, and when we get close to solidifying something, we'll let you guys know. Uh, It's going to be a great year. Uh, What a celebration. Uh, Another incredible milestone for Judas Priest that we're looking forward to sharing with everybody. Uh, They formed in Birmingham, UK in 1969, Front and fronted by original vocalist Al Atkins, it was the arrival of Halford in 1973 and their debut album, uh, Rock-a- Rockarola a year later that launched Judas Priest on the an international basis, and they have worldwide sales of almost 50 million copies. So they are high on that list as well, and have definitely done their time. And of course, you know everyone knows them for their hit "Breaking the Law." yes Judas Priest breaking the law I'll tell you I th- I think I've only seen Judas Priest once maybe maybe I've seen him twice uh, once with Rob Halford but I saw them um, with a different singer actually at the Fillmore years ago I'd have to say it was 2001 or 2002 uh, that I, I saw them and it was, uh, it was a kick-ass show but The lead singer was like half the age of everybody else in the band and that was just really weird uh to to see because everybody else was i mean they were aged rockers and they'd put in their time and everything and then you have this young guy bouncing around the stage and everything it was pretty interesting but uh but good to get to see them at least once even if it wasn't with uh rob halford so um so that is the music news for today on the program. So next time on uh, on the program, we're gonna have an artist named Casey Abrams. Uh, he was on American Idol uh, back in 2010 and had the chance to interview him at the Hot Mock Tavern in uh, Novato. Cool little place to see a concert. And um, and we'll talk more about that um, when we have him on the, the program as well. But um, we're gonna have Casey Abrams we have uh, a lot of other good stuff here uh, coming up as well as I mentioned we're working on some stuff you know Foreigner might be the week after Casey Abrams if all that f- falls into place which it most likely will uh and then um uh, ben Fong Torres is in the, in the works. We've got other stuff um, gearing up as well down the line um, and not too far away from episode 200, which we're going to um, try and um, do some fun stuff for that episode. So that would be the program for today. So thank you for tuning in. And for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, really just me today, uh, I am Steve Jones. We will catch you next time.